0: This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem.
1: For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org.
2: Well, brothers and sisters, good evening. Welcome to Christchurch, Jerusalem uh, for our Wednesday night Bible study. It's great to have the community around. Um, And hey, Bernardo, welcome, Mexico. Great to see you. I haven't seen you for a while. We are wrestling and studying and uh, learning as much as we can from Moses' last speech as he is doing his best and making a comment on the Torah, preparing uh, the people of God to enter the promised land and set up a society that is going to reflect God's character and reflect his image, reflect his light to the nations, which would hopefully attract the Gentiles to Jerusalem, and, uh, uh, and and before we do, and before we begin our study, we will acknowledge the Lord's presence uh, amongst us. Even though we are in many different countries, He is present in our conversation and in our houses. Uh, David, would you please pray us in?
3: So let's bow our hearts and bow our heads, coming to the Lord's presence again. O sovereign Father in heaven, mighty God, Abba, we thank you for this amazing privilege that we can come before you again to your feet, Lord, and to learn your word, Lord. And we ask you, Father, that as Aaron teaches us, Lord, that you'll open our hearts to receive your word and to speak to us, Lord, on a level that each and every one of us needs to know, Lord, and to strengthen us in this time, Lord, as we receive your word to know how strong you are in our lives, Father. And, Father, we ask you to anoint Aaron, to strengthen him. To lift him up, Father, as he brings your word to us, Lord, and let him have extra and new revelation. And you, Father, we thank you for this amazing privilege. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. amen.
2: All right, thank you very much. Well, um, once again, as we as we study this this uh, book, we all have the Holy Spirit. We all have something to contribute to our brothers and sisters. And I come armed with a pen because I expect to learn uh, as well. All right, as is our tradition, we go over last week's uh, summary that puts us in uh, context for what we've been studying or what we will be studying today. All right, so last week we studied Deuteronomy 21, verses 15 to 23, which is the last half. And once again, we encounter the troubling practice in the ancient world of multiple wives. And once again, I urge people not to superimpose present-day morality onto the past. It's something that we all like to do, but it really isn't something we should do. During our lively discussion on this issue, and it, is all, and it always is lively, we mentioned that Jesus in Mark 10 quotes Genesis to describe a man and a woman as one flesh in his argument against divorce. Please note the issue in Mark 10 is about divorce and adultery. The Jewish people have had access to Genesis far longer than us. Moses, who is writing Deuteronomy 21, also wrote Genesis, according to tradition. He could easily have been able to quote this text as Jesus did to dissuade the Israelites from polygamy. Yet he does not. All scripture is God-breathed, and yet no prophet challenges this practice. It is also true that the Bible is not presenting multiple wives as the ideal. The only patriarchs who had one wife were Moses, Isaac, and King Saul. I am not advocating polygamy. I will read that sentence again. <laughs> I am not advocating polygamy, and neither does the Bible, neither does it condone the activity. However, there is a problematic text in Numbers 12, which I, as part of this research and dis, dis, uh, for these notes, I came across something I hadn't noticed before. Isn't it great You always find something new? There is a problematic text in Numbers 12 that says that Moses has a Cushite wife, you know the incident? Aaron and Miriam say that your wife is Cushi and you need to marry a Hebrew. Cushi, Cushite, means Ethiopian. However, Zipporah, his actual wife, is Midian in Arabia. So who's the Cushite wife? I just want people to know, despite this interesting little sentence, the standard Jewish exegesis is that Moses has one wife. Somehow, they figure out that Zipporah for Midian is also Ethiopian. How they do that, I don't know, Okay, but they do. My the issue being addressed by Moses is the concern for an unloved wife and the right of the firstborn. The Israelites have the patriarchal story of Jacob, Rachel, and Leah as part of their sacred history. Leah, being the unloved wife, produces the firstborn of Jacob. The firstborn held special honor in biblical tradition. Exodus describes the firstborn males belonging to God, and male children required redemption from the priests. All firstborn are beloved of God. However... That does not mean he will call them to ministry, as the majority of the patriarchs and heroes of God are not firstborn. Note, the firstborn is the firstborn of the father and not the mother. However, when we come to the New Testament, it is said of Jesus, she gave birth to her firstborn, Luke 2 verse 7, not Joseph's. Firstborn, As the Orthodox, that is the Greek Orthodox, Syrian Orthodox, blah, 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 the Orthodox tradition is that Joseph has already has other children. In the sacred history of Israel, many of the firstborn turn on their brothers, such as Cain, Esau, and Ishmael. During my studies on Jacob this week, I noticed that Rachel was meant to be Jacob's first wife. Hadn't thought of that before, which means that Joseph was meant to be the firstborn, but he wasn't. And perhaps this is adding to the tradition of Messiah ben Yosef and not any of the other children. The point of what Moses is saying is to have care and compassion on the unloved woman and to honestly and selflessly honour the right of the firstborn in this way Israel will be different from the nations around them, who all too often give in to their selfish desires. Our hearts must surrender to the heart of God, who also loves the unloved. It is Leah, the unloved, that produces the Davidic line, and thus the Messiah. The next subject discussed by Moses is the issue of the rebellious son. Rebellion is never a good thing in the Bible. The son, who is not young, as he is described as a glutton and a drunkard, openly breaks the command to honour father and mother. The command with the blessing of long life. Thus, his life is not long lived at all. Moses instructs a purging of sin from the community. Now, while again, these commands appear to us to be overly harsh, and uncharacteristic of heaven. Yet, as Roddy so aptly pointed out, these are the worst-case scenarios being presented here. All attempts at reconciliation, repentance, and redemption have been exhausted. Spare the rod, spoil the child, reminds Shimshon from Nigeria. And sin can be transferred to others. The spiritual implication reflects on the danger that our communities have when we do not purge sin from our communities. We refuse to purge anything in our modern world. And we have reaped what we have sowed. Our children have become rebellious. Sin remains deep in the community and infects and changes our theology and it weakens the gospel of God. We no longer can call sin as sin, thus We have no need for a redeemer. Finally, Moses instructs the community to remove bodies that have been displayed on a tree due to the severe nature of their crime, thus serving as a public warning in the strongest visible way and as a deterrent for future actions. As mentioned before, the land can become defiled by human blood and sin. Thus, the body must not remain overnight in public. Moses adds that those seeing the body will note that the person has been cursed by God and received justice. Jewish exegesis notes that this form of punishment was reserved solely for blasphemers and idolaters who were first stoned to death, which is a preferred method of capital punishment in the Bible, and then hung on a tree. Paul uses a portion of this verse in his theological presentation of the redemptive act of Jesus, taking upon himself the wrath or the curse of God. So those were our uh, a summary of our what ended up being quite a lively debate on eight verses, which we usually get up to. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right, so we are going to continue with Deuteronomy 22, which is um, one of those uh, chapters which then just throws out a series of, of commandments, just one after the other. Deuteronomy 22. You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and ignore them. You shall take them back to your brother. And if he does not live near you, and you do not know where, who he is, you shall bring it home to your house, and it shall stay with you until your brother seeks it, and then you shall restore it to him. And you shall do the same with his donkey or his garment or with any lost thing of your brother's which he loses, and you find you may not ignore it. You shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fallen down by the way and ignore them. You shall help him to lift them up again. A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. If you come across a bird's nest in any tree or on the ground with young ones or eggs and the mother sitting on the young or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall let the mother go, but the young you may take for yourself, that it may go well with you and you may live long life. When you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof, that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house if anyone should fall from it. You shall not sow your vineyard with two kinds of seed, lest the whole yield be forfeited. The crop that you have sown and the yield of the vineyard. You shall not plough with an ox and a donkey together. You shall not wear cloth of wool and linen mixed together. You shall make yourself tassels on the four corners of the garment with which you cover yourself. Now laws concerning sexual immorality. If a man takes a wife and goes into her and then hates her and accuses her of misconduct and brings a bad name upon her, saying, I took this woman and when I came near her, I did not find in in her any evidence of virginity. Then the father and the young woman and her mother shall take and bring out the evidence of her virginity to the elders of the city uh, in the gate. And the father of the young woman shall say to the elders, I gave my daughter to this man to marry and he hates her. And behold, he has accused her of misconduct, saying, I did not find in your daughter's evidence of virginity. And yet this is the evidence of my daughter's virginity. And they shall spread the cloak before the elders of the city. Then the elders of the city shall take the man and they'll whip him. And they shall fine him a hundred shekels of silver and give him to the father of the young woman, because he has bought a bad name upon a virgin of Israel. And she shall be his wife. He may not divorce her all his days. But if the thing is true, that evidence of virginity was not found in the young woman, then they shall bring out the young woman to the door of the father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her to death with stones, because she has done an outrageous thing in Israel by whoring in her father's house. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. If a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die, the man who lay with the woman and the woman. You shall purge the evil from Israel. If there is a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out of the gate of that city and you shall stone them to death with the stones. The young woman, because she did not cry for help, because she was in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife. You shall purge the evil from your midst. But if in the open country a man meets a young woman who is betrothed and the man seizes her and lies with her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the young woman. She committed no offense punishable by death. For this case is like that of a man attacking and murdering his neighbor because he met her in the open country. And though the betrothed young woman cried for help, there was no one to rescue her. If a man meets a virgin who is not betrothed and seizes her and lies with her, and they are found, then the man who lay with her shall give to the father of the young woman fifty shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife, because he has violated her. He shall he may not divorce her all his days. A man shall not take his father's wife, so that he does not uncover his father's nakedness. All right, there you go. So that's our. Uh, Uh, text for today. Um, Probably not as much fun as we have had in some things where we get to discuss kingship and uh, prophets, priests and good stuff like that. All right. Okay. So on an initial surface reading, what is it there out of these laws that stands out for you? Or is there one? Is there one that, that, that jumps out?
0: I'm thinking of the you know the men shouldn't wear women's clothes and vice versa. There has to be yeah. a lot there has to be a lot more in that because over over the years it's changed. I mean, we've got men wearing skirts in Scotland, so you know they must have yeah. and, and, and in times gone past they wore tunics and things. So there's gotta be something deeper in that, I would imagine.
2: Right. I mean, let's be honest, the clothing of men and women back then looked remarkably similar. Um, you both wore head coverings, you both had long dresses, you both had sandals, you both had belts, but there was one or two things that still stood out as um, uh, a man and a woman. So I, I don't think it's thou shalt not wear a dress. So Scotland, I think kilts are okay. okay? <laughs> so, um, but it does, but it is interesting. What does it actually mean? Um, and why would this law be there? Like, what's so bad about, you know, wearing a dress?
3: There is a distinction between masculine and feminine according to the Lord God, and he doesn't want you to cross those boundaries.
2: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of these, a lot of this chapter is actually about distinction, isn't it? About separation. They've shoved them all together, um, separating you know, cloth and wool, separating uh, uh, the, the genders, uh, male and female, um, separating different types of seeds in, in, in um, fields and gardens. So there is, there's a lot there about boundary setting about, um, and, and the separation of, of things
3: There is one thing in the very last verse that I was curious about. I mean, besides all the other stuff, which is so contrary to what we do today, it says, uh, it, shall not just, it shall not uncover his father's nakedness, right? Yep. And it kind of, it, I wonder if, if we can even bring Noah into this.
2: Yeah, well, that's what I leapt to. Because um, the, it's the same phrase. And if you were hearing it, you would, and you knew your Bible really well, you would think of what did Ham do um, when he uncovered his, uh, when he saw his father's nakedness. Uh, what does that actually mean? Yeah. So, so, yeah, very interesting. All right. Okay, so let's begin with. Um, some of these rules. Now, let's also remember: all scripture is God-breathed, and all scripture is useful for um, uh, doctrine and and rebuking. And Paul uh, uses this chapter when when making a um, uh, a point. And so, what we think we understand by these texts can sometimes come out to mean something else to other people. So we'll see what, they, what happens. All right, so let's have a look. First one. You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and ignore them. You shall take them back to your brother. And if he does not live near you and you do not know where he is, you shall bring it home to your house. It will stay with you until your brother seeks it. And then you restore it to him. You shall do the same uh, for with his donkey or his garment or any lost thing of your brother which he loses. Uh, and you find it, you may not ignore it. You shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fallen down by the way and ignore them. You shall help him to lift them up. Okay, so what is this law about? I mean, I know what it's literally about, but what is the intention of this law that is meant to reflect into uh, the community?
0: I think it's just community. I think it's just what you basically said, Aaron. It's about community. Um, when you see somebody being lost, something being lost, it's not just, it's it's like it's your own thing being lost. You should treat it as in this community you live in.
3: Okay, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Okay, I'm just writing that down. Anything else? Yeah.
4: I think there's a, a good connection with verse eight with this as well, where your neighbor his well-being is your responsibility.
2: Yes, that's a good one. Yep, yeah. that is a lot about community responsibility. Okay, for others, yeah. Okay, I'm going to prod you a little bit more. Okay, what is it that is the sin? Yeah, Bernardo, Yep, yeah, you're right. The golden rule, do uh, to others as you would like them to do unto you. Yep. If I lost something, you would want them to, to find it and keep it and guard it. Yeah, absolutely. It's also about the temptation to to steal. <laughs> yes, okay. Yeah, you find something and you go, oh, finders keepers, losers weepers. That's actually not a biblical rule. Okay. Is
3: it, is it, is it also about recompense?
2: In what way recompense? You mean...
3: You know, it's it's it's. I was just thinking, if you lost something, you'd have to pay it back. But
2: it was there, etc. You know, so. Okay. All right. Are there any are there any Anglicans in the room or traditional guys? For those of us that uh, every Sunday we have a prayer of confession, and uh, we confess that hey, we blew it. How did we blow it? We blew it because there are things that we did and there were things we did not do things we did not do yeah and so this is this is the sin of doing some doing this is the sin of not doing good right this is um, where moses comes along to his community and says i know i've given you absolutely chunks of laws about what you got to do and you know what you can't do and all this kind of stuff but here's here's another rule if there's something good that you can do and you don't do it, that's actually bad. And so, if you happen to see uh, your neighbor's donkey and it's fallen down uh, or broken, and you just walk past, that's not good. That is actually a sin. The you haven't done anything physically wrong. You haven't stolen. You didn't steal his donkey. You didn't. Uh, you didn't spit on him. You didn't dishonor him. You didn't curse anybody. You did. You broke no other rule other than you didn't do good. And this community that Moses is is trying to set up is the failure to do good is just as bad as doing bad. And it's interesting that in some of the traditional older churches, they knew this uh, idea because obviously the, the early Jewish believers that came into their community, set it up as part of their prayers that not only can we sin by doing bad, we can sin by not doing good. Um, and so you have this—this this, uh, the what we what sometimes emit some pieces of exegesis call this the laws of being kind, um, the sin of doing nothing.
4: Aaron, yep, uh, it makes me think of uh, James chapter four verse seventeen. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it. For him, it is sin.
2: Oh, I'm going to write that down. Thank you. James 4? 4.17. 4.17. Yep. So that is, uh, yep, James is, is completely within his Jewish world. If you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, that's actually a sin, which means it's the sin of intention. Remember, uh, Moses, especially particularly in this book, is um, really applying the Torah to your hearts. And he's already said it, obviously, write these laws on your heart. But along the way, he has minimized ritual, has not get, gotten rid of it. That is not his intention at all. Minimized it and raised up the bar of the heart. So when we saw the ritual of finding a, uh, a body in the field, and no one knows who actually killed him and who's responsible. The ritual: get a heifer, break it with a with a with a with a stone on its neck, blah blah blah. But it was only after the prayer, which is from your heart, that the next sentence was, and now you get atoned, right? That uh, it is it's it is about the heart and about uh, the intention, and so here. Um, the intention is um, seeing the good deed and then doing nothing. And I can't remember who who was the guy who made the famous quote: um, "Evil persists when good men do nothing." Who 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 said that? Anyone know? It's a it's a it's a famous quote by somebody. Some somebody said that evil only persists because good people do nothing. Right? It's not that there's a lack of good people; it's just the lack of good people doing good. And uh, and we see a lot of these judgment scenes, particularly in places like Revelation, where God actually hates fence sitters. Right? Either do good or do bad. Just don't do nothing.
4: Right? Yeah. Um, it's uh, Edmund Burke, by the way. Thank mm-hmm. you very much.
2: What's the actual real quote?
4: Uh, the oh, this short the short one. Only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing.
2: Okay. Yep. All right. I'm going to write that one down as well. Burke. Okay. The quote by Burke. Yeah. So what does Bernardo say? Uh, does this apply to pets? Most likely, Bernardo. Yeah, it applies to everything. Yes. So if you find a stray, keep it until you find the owner. All right. Um, Eric, perhaps, yep. can you put
0: it on a little bit of a spiritual level in the Go sense of it. the Good Samaritan?
3: Yes, it it
0: it's the same principle,
3: it is. Yeah, but, but then, Aaron, surely, that every single one of us are so guilty of this because every time we pass a beggar, we don't give him a sandwich, we don't no. home, no. Do, we don't yeah. do this. Yeah, yes, you're absolutely right, David. We are, and
2: um, and I guess that's one of the one of the things I find very powerful when, I'm, when I personally am uh, in praying the prayer of confession is when I get to that bit and I say, yeah and all the good that I haven't done, man, I know that outweighs all the bad stuff, right? Because there's so many times in the day that we get busy, we get distracted, we go, oh, I really need to get to X because that's my job, and, and, uh, and we use these things as excuses um, to literally not do good. And uh, that actually hurts the community, and it uh, it fails the community. And the community would be a bigger, better, and stronger place if actually we did good. And because, uh, as we all know, light always chases away darkness. And uh, and if we would just shined our light, then um, then the darkness would would flee. And it's similar in the in the vein of failing to purge sin from our communities when we fail to. Say that sin is sin, then um, yeah, eventually we're going to lose any witness that w- that we have. All right, all right. So this is the first couple of verses, um, literally deal with the sin of omission—that is, um, uh, not being not being kind. So uh, Moses would like to make sure that the community of Israel um, is not going to do that, and from a spiritual level, they all should have been doing that, and it's highlighted. Uh, in the parable of the or the story of the good Samaritan, where priests and Levites should have known this, right? That you can't just ignore stuff, but yet that's exactly what they did, and uh, uh, Jesus uses it to a very good effect. All right. Um, so the the story. The uh, when do you fulfil the command? That's what I'll. That's what I'll ask. Um, there were, there were two, two, two questions here. Um, for example, I was in, my personal example, I was in, at Hebrew University uh, studying in level, hey, Hebrew, Ramahey, and uh, I was walking to class and I found a 100 shekel note on the floor. Now, as a poor university student, 100 shekels is a heck of a lot of money. That is a lot of cups of tea uh, for the month. So I picked it up and I thought, now, how can I possibly give this to the owner? How can you possibly do it? Right? There's no no way.
3: It's due diligence, Aaron. Because what you do is you hand it to lost property or hand it into.
2: Correct. So I was like, "Where's lost property?" And the the teacher looked at me, and he was religious, and he said, "You've already fulfilled the command to give it back to the person." So even though you actually haven't physically done it and you may never actually get it done because there's probably no way that the guy walks to Lost Property and say, by the way, has anyone handed in a 100 shekel note? It had my name on it. You know, um, that's uh, very hard to prove. But um, the, the guy goes, because it's all about the intention of the heart, even just intending to fulfill a command fulfills the command. Does that make sense? Even if you physically haven't managed to succeed, that actually is irrelevant. It really
3: was the intention to do it. Aaron, Aaron interesting thing. My grand used to always tell me that the road to hell was paved with good intentions. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. All the good intentions that, that perhaps never got done, as opposed to the good intentions uh, that just by themselves s- still succeeded. Right? It was the, as they say, the thought that counts. <laughs>
0: Would it be um, one, because one is action, one is just thinking it and doing nothing.
2: Right, yes. So the thinking and doing nothing is the sin, and yeah. the other one is going thinking and then doing your best but still, still not succeeding.
0: I know, but it, the action and the desire was there to do it. So he wasn't yeah. trying to hold it back by yeah. holding on to it. Yeah. Your, the intention is to give it, even if yeah. it's impossible to do so.
2: Yes, yeah, absolutely. Now I had an interesting discussion with my little uh, Chabad rabbi friend uh, uh, yesterday. Uh, you guys know who I'm talking about, right? Yes, from the other day. No, nope? Okay, reminding people, um, uh, a, uh, a, a a Chabad. Rabbi who's studying in the yeshiva, who's about to actually graduate as a rabbi, has for the last couple of years, I've discovered, um, been reading the New Testament and falling in love with Jesus. So he's contacted Christchurch to explore the faith and we meet three times a week and we read through the gospel portion for that day. And, uh, and, and study. And along the way, he actually, he just comes up with all kinds of various questions. And this, this, this Tuesday we sat down and he asked, um, okay, so if I get baptized and I become a believer, how much of the Torah do I have to do? And I was like, "Oh, well, there you go. I've got a question for you. How much of the Torah can you do as of right now? And he was like, "Well, what do you mean?" I said, "Okay, I know that there's 613 laws in the in in the, in the Torah. How many actually can you physically do?" And he said, "Well, uh, well, obviously I'm not a woman, so none of those laws count, and I don't have any slaves, so none of those laws count." And um, and he went down the list, and it comes out to about 240. Just so you all know. That most of the laws actually can't be done because there's no temple. You know, there's a whole bunch of things that you just can't do. And then a fair chunk of those laws are just like this. It's all intention. And so how much of the Torah can you actually do? More than you think. Right? It's, uh, many of us have got this illusion that the, keeping the Torah is some sort of unbelievable burden, and Jews are walking around with these horrible expressions on their face saying, woe is me, I'm so horrible. But that's actually not true. In fact, most Jewish people do not walk around with sad expressions on their face thinking, oh, my gosh, I can't do this, because the majority of the God's instruction as Paul said, is indeed wholly just and good because the majority of it actually is the intention of the heart. So we've just read a rule and we know what the literalness is. So you all know what to do if you happen to be heading into work one day and you happen to see your neighbour's ox, why he's got one, I don't know, but he happens to have one in the middle of Edinburgh and it's fallen down a ditch, you know what you have to do. Okay, But let's, of course, take that spiritually and the intention of the Torah and discover that we all should not ignore the right thing to do. And, uh, and so we should. So there you go. We can all do these rules, especially their intentions. Okay. So verse 5, always a fun one. A woman shall not wear a man's garment, and uh, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. All right. So, David, you mentioned that this was a separation of the sexes, making sure a distinction of the sexes. Uh, any other comments on that? You think? Well, that's a pretty good, pretty good go at it. Okay. Uh, hello, everyone. Hey, Shimshan. Yeah,
5: shalom to you. Yes, um, this is a very interesting one because um, in that time, there's not so much difference between what the man puts on and what the women puts on when it regards to clothing. Yeah. Um, they just put on a gown, just cut you know, the head, um, the place for the head to come out and that's all. Um, most um, rabbi interpret it as being what a man has already put on what a man is wearing, that he should not transfer it to a woman. And what a woman is already, you know, using, it should not be transferred to a man. Because okay. um, because this always caused a lot of controversies in church, especially when it comes to skirts and trousers for ladies and, yeah. and all those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so people always interpret it in that wise, and but it, it doesn't really follow in that. Because looking at the time that this um, commandment was given, if you look at the dressing culture of the people, it's not speaking in in terms of trousers and um, skates.
2: Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. We had just before you came on, Shimshon. We were having a discussion. We wanted to go over this, and we decided that Scottish kilts are okay. 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 <laughs> absolutely.
5: So, uh, absolutely. The,
2: <laughs> the Scots can wear dresses, but uh, Nigerians can't. Okay, that's like a new rule. We've yeah. <laughs> See, we, have, we yeah. have a problem in today's society don't we we have a real gender confusion yeah and and, and yes. this verse speaks incredibly poignantly to a, an incredible issue that we've got going on in the world right now men don't know how to be men because society can't tell you what a man is anymore and uh women can't be women because you know Women have mm-hmm. to be absolutely everything. Otherwise, they're not a woman, whatever that is. Uh, and and we've, we've really blurred the distinction between males and females. And, and uh, yeah. um, I remember watching a... Does anyone here uh, watch Prager University? No. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, he, he's a Jewish guy, and uh, he has these little five-minute videos, and he brings on uh, people to, to talk. And it's just they're just five minutes. Uh, of a v- wide variety of topics. And there was a young lady, American, uh, a uh, 21 or 22, and she was in college uh, track and field. She's a, trying to be an athlete to train to um, get to the Olympics. And, uh, uh, and so in her school, they allowed males who identified as females To participate in their sport, so guess who won all the events, (laughs) right? The the males
5: that that that. Yes. So
2: guess what? She so she had trained. She was saying, "I trained really hard to be able to compete, so that I could get to the Olympics." And guess what happened? She didn't get to the Olympics. Why not? Because some man in a woman's sport. Succeeded. So instead of empowering women to, you know, by blurring the, the, the gender lines, instead of actually empowering women so that they can go on and become great athletes, they it actually subjugates them because they'll never be able to compete. Absolutely. Because biologically, men and women are two different people,
3: right? They Very. just
2: are. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and it's interesting that here, it's just, it's just one sentence, right? Yeah. What have you got there, Rory? Boys very good, yes? Mm-hmm. Yes. The, uh, yeah, yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah, you got to watch yeah. out for those young 15-year-old <laughs> soccer kids. Yeah. yeah. It, it, so, so this verse, even though it's it, it's just, it seems very abstract, but again, look at the intention, the spiritual intention, mm-hmm. and apply it to ourselves. There is a distinction between the sexes. We shouldn't try and separate that. Uh, there is a blessing with being a man. There is a blessing with being a girl. Hallelujah! And uh, and once we begin to to get ourselves a little bit of confusion, our societies uh, actually crumble. And uh,
1: yeah. hey Aaron, I guess this passage then is a is a explanation of you know God's opinion on trans transgender. But what is it? What is it like the Hebrew abomination? to the lord your god like what i wonder why like what is the so god really is big on this male versus female yeah separation it in yeah. my footnote it says the same word translated abomination was used to describe god's view of homosexuality in leviticus 18 22 yeah, same 22. word yep so yeah. what is that word like is it like oh, I
3: have not abhor- the Hebrew
2: right in front of me, but it's the same word to describe something that yes, tova. There you go. Thank you, Bernardo. Yeah, it's 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 a it's it's a word that. How do I describe it? Like a,
1: he abhors it. Is it like he, an abomination? Meaning like yep. he really, you abhor it.
2: You abhor it. It. Yeah. Once you begin to blur the 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 lines of because at the beginning of creation, what did God do? He made may, them, male and female. M- right. Male and female, and then somebody's come along and tried to undo creation, right. and God is abhorrent to that. You know, if God wanted to undo creation, He would undo mm. creation. He wouldn't need our help to do it. Um, and and uh, uh, and it's just it's just one sentence. It's a one line command. You know, don't dress like a man. Don't dress like a woman. Everybody you know, where you think. Um, What's interesting in in some commentaries, because, you know, everybody has a different take on this stuff. Um, The initial Hebrew is, uh, a woman shall not put on men's gear, uh, which could be, could be, could refer to male armament. That is, women don't go to war, right? Uh, When I, when I read that comment, I was like, oh, yeah, you probably could run that way. But that really doesn't that line up with this um, very abhorrent reaction that comes from God. Once you start blurring the sexes, there's this abhorrency from the Lord where he turns around and looks at society and he says, what are you doing? This is this is never the society I imagined that you would create. Um, Aaron,
3: Aaron yeah. may I ask a question? Perhaps also what the Lord is saying. You may, must maintain the distinction because, for example, what he intended for a woman is like Psalm thirty one, the Ishit Chayil, right? Yes. And also one of the uh, the uh, one of the one of the New Testament books speaks very much on 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 what a man should be, what a woman should be, right? Yep. Yes.
2: Yep. So it's that's right. So it's not about um, uh, Scottish people running around in dresses. Uh, and and then then everyone's saying that they're women because I'm 100% sure that if I walked up to a Scottish man in a kilt and said, hey, you look like a girl, I'm about to get a thumpin'. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, and I'm about to discover that he ain't no girl, right? <laughs> so, uh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah for sure. That's right.
4: Um, and, no, um, so, I mean, f-
5: uh, f- for the Scots, I mean, the, the guy is wearing that, and it's not trying to pretend to be a girl. It's not yeah. acting girl like, you know, and it's not doing that. So he's acting as a man. But yes. in the other world where these people are trying to blur it, I think it's a direct. Um, you know, it's it's an insult to God. You know, yes. um, that's why God says it's an abomination. And when you try to tell him that no, you didn't get it right, you didn't make it right. It's not. It's more than male and female. We have transgender and other things. But but because from the beginning he said they make them male and female, and he also said that um because of this a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. And he's yep. talking about the male and the female again and the same thing. He used the same word for homosexualism that you people are trying to insult me, and everyone that is promoting this um, concept of um freedom of um are using the equality for men and women. I said it's a very wrong concept because right. um God made us very different from the beginning um A lot of people try to you know paint it in a way to look oh we are finding looking for equality for men and women. I always say it's the same reason um you, people will go and watch male soccer uh, more people will invest in male soccer than invest in female soccer because yeah. the, it's more physical the male have more um entertaining when it comes to that and also the male are you know they are like the alpha male you know um when you go to the to, to the to the prison world you see more male than female you know yeah. so we're not trying to say okay i ah, know we need to get equality we need to get more women into the prison because <laughs> we're <who> want to. <laughs> <That's laughs> no, right. we not saying that so it's always the main thing it's like the men they, they they have the ability to do more than the women in many things not that we don't have women that can do much more we have women that can do much more but in the totality of things we have men that can do much more and um, if we try to deny it, then we try to cause this confusion that is going on right now.
3: Yeah. And
2: with, with power, you know, quoting our friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, mm-hmm. with, with mm-hmm. great power comes great responsibility. Also,
5: responsibility. Yes. Right? So mm-hmm. let's,
2: let's remember, Eve ate the fruit first, right? But according to the New Testament, who got blamed for the death entering the world? It wasn't Eve. It was Adam. It was Adam. <laughs> right Mm -hmm. and so you had a male and a female both ate the fruit and and they don't say well you know let's just blame humans Mm -hmm. no you blame the man you said no it was adam's fault um and so you know great power comes great responsibility you know buck up men all right and uh the one you know one of the problems of feminism is it creates men that women don't want okay um it, it, you know I, there's not many women on the planet who, who say, you know, I really can't wait for my husband to sit on the couch in touch with his feminine side. you know, and he'll do absolutely nothing. He'll never take the garbage out. he'll never defend me because he doesn't know how to defend any, anybody because he's too too busy doing his nails. Um, it does, that doesn't work. That doesn't hold mustard.. Absolutely. So to speak. All right. <laughs> okay. All righty, already.
1: That's a quick question, too. So is there any other scriptures that we have that give more wisdom and guidance on this whole issue of transgender and all that? That's I'm just saying, is that the, probably the probably Transgender?
2: Uh, there probably is a lot of others. I didn't go looking for them. I just looked at this as a, <laughs> as a thing. Rory, you've got a comment uh, that says Timothy says it was Eve. Is that true? You on there, Rory? You're looking it up. Okay, very good. Because I know that Paul in Corinthians Uh, makes the case that it was through one man, Adam, sin entered the world, right? Okay, so while you're looking that up, uh, because I'll need to write that down for the notes, okay? All right, Uh, next verse, six. This is a, a very small command, but also a very powerful one. If you come across a bird's nest in any tree or on the ground with young ones or eggs and the mother is sitting on the young ones or the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall let the mother go and the young you may take for yourself, that it may go well with you and you may live long. All right. Now, I know that some of you know that this is what is defined as the least of the commandments. You've heard of this? So the greatest of the commands. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, so the woman was deceived and she became a sinner. Yes, absolutely. But the act, the the blame for the sin is in chronic in Corinthians, where it says, "By one man, Adam, death entered the world." It skips Eve in, entirely. Uh, so in verse six. Deuteronomy 22, verse 6 is called the least of the commands. The greatest of the commands, you know, if someone says, what is the greatest of the commands? You would Shema.
3: say, you God. "Yes,
2: Shema. love the Lord your God with all your heart. Second greatest command is, love your neighbor as yourself. Shema. And then, so from the least, from the greatest to the least of these commands, you know, heaven and earth will not pass away. What is the least of the commands? This is it. The, uh, according to Jewish tradition, Deuteronomy 22, verse 6, is the least of the commands. When you find a bird, let mama go take the egg. You go, oh my
3: gosh, what kind of crazy command is that? You know? Aaron, if, if it's the least of the commandments, how come it says, that thou mayest prolong thy days?
2: Yeah. Isn't that just so classic in uh, in, in Jewish tension? The least of the commands comes with a blessing blessing. like there's no blessing for um wearing men's clothing Mm -hmm. i did not wear women's clothing do i get a blessing lord uh (laughs) no you look good in jeans. jeans That's all you get. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, uh, I chased Mama away and I picked, up, I picked up an egg. You shall have long life. Live long and prosper, young sir. Okay, great. How does that work? <laughs>
5: I, I see yes. it this way. I see it in terms of a business. Um, it's talking about um, you don't eat your profit and your capital. You take the profits and you invest back the capital. capital. Um, that's, that's the way I've always looked at it.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's that.
2: you're right. Um, there is this, this command. Where we've dealt with laws of kindness to people and their properties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we've got a command about the distinction between the sexes, like keep creation as creation. Um, mm-hmm. Now we have a command, you know, be, be kind to creation. And not only that... As part of your dominion and dominance of, of the creation, um, yeah, don't, don't eat all of it all in one go. Yep. Right? You know, the mother will go away. She has the opportunity to have some more young. She right, will yep. continue the species. We will have more birds, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a blessing both for the individual uh, and for, for the nation and for creation um, because it comes with this, this blessing, which is very similar, as Michelle pointed out, to the, um, the honouring your mother and father. Honour your mother and father and it shall live long with you, look after the animal and it'll be live along with you. Um, I mean greenies must love this birth. I don't know if there's any um, uh, tree huggers with us. It's great mm-hmm. if you are here uh, protecting mm-hmm. the environment. Um, uh, I, I was reading um, in a midrush this morning um, the, the uh, uh, command that God gives um, the male and female. Uh, Adam and Eve, he says, be fruitful and multiply and and, uh, dominate the earth. Uh, But the actual Hebrew is um, Kavasa, which means literally and dominate her. And then you have this discussion. Well, what does it mean? Are we dominating the earth or are we dominating the woman? What does it mean? (laughs) And then you get this spiritual thing. What does it mean to dominate? Dominate not mean crush rule, but Protect, preserve, nurture, grow, feed, sustain, you know, all of those things that we have. Dominating the earth does not mean ripping all the minerals out of it and leaving the earth as a giant husk. You know, that's not what that means. Um, And neither does... you know, we, women and, and males and females submitting to each other, as it says in the New Testament, mean that we've got these doormats that we, you know, we we will, we will only allow to crawl on, on on all fours around the house. That that's not what that that means uh, at all. Here that's you have
1: an point, Aaron. If I could just jump in for a second, because yep. that's an interesting thought. Because. Um, it, it was sort of part of the curse of sin and Adam's sin. So Adam, you know, intentionally, willfully sinned. Where you know Eve was more deceived, right? But yep. the point he was like the curse was that he would rule over her. So down through human history, we see women kind of being made subservient to men. Men dominate. Women like to control too. Like we're all control freaks. Okay, we're right. Human. A lot of us. <laughs> <it's good. laughs> Yeah, But, you know what I mean, like it's it's part of the curse, you know, and some people kind of interpret that even in some like assembly environments and stuff, just extreme as as like a carte blanche to be allowed to, you know, control the woman and submit and, you know, it gets very extreme.
2: Can do, yes, indeed.
1: And it's part of the curse versus not, so it's not that it's part of the plan, but it happened, you know.
2: Right. Yeah, the part of the plan was for males and females. You see, the the Midrash is doing an interesting thing. Uh, Jewish exegesis often looks at words that seem out of context and they create all kinds of really cool theologies. But literally, the text is they need to um, be fruitful and multiply. So it's in plural. So it does talk about males and females being fruitful and multiply. And then... Um, and then ruling, her. What? Who is the her? Well, th- uh, one literal reading could be it's the males and females sharing control of the earth, uh, and 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 also have both being custodians in the right way. It is possible to, to swing it the other way too, but it still is still. It's not a stretch. It's just perhaps one option that might not be as clear as the first one. But th- that's what the Midrash does. The Midrash is always looking for these little nuances to try and figure out a, a, another deep, a deep truth and, and runs both of them at the same time. Uh, this is the least of the commands. It involves kindness to creation. There's the promise of a blessing if we are obedient. The um, being obedient gives a blessing, which is gonna be a blessing both for the individual and for the community, because we're all part of communities. Um, as Shimshon says, it is against greed and overtaxing the resources. So we do have to, you know, do things like not overfish our fish stocks. Okay, we do. We can't overcut, kill our herds. You know, we, um, which as I'm sure, uh, you know, Africa knows. You know, ivory poachers. We, if we kill too many of these guys, they're gonna go disappear, and that's, that's bad. Um, so there is a, we, there are things that we have to do to preserve some sort of uh, balance, maintaining order and, and, and law. And, and Aaron,
3: um, Aaron, sorry to interrupt, it's also very interesting that the Lord, someone in Scripture says, he shall punish those who destroy the earth. Yes,
2: mm. yes.
3: Do you happen to know that verse on the top of your head?
2: But yes, that is there. There is um, God actually gave us the responsibility of taking care of it. So if we fail to take care of it, then there is this um, not blessing, the opposite thereof. Um, okay, so think um, kal Chomer. Anyone know, you guys know what that means? Kal from the lighter to the heavier. It's a, a method of Jewish exegesis. So uh, when Jewish people approach the text, um, Jesus used it. One, one, one common way of interpreting the text is, Go from the lighter to the heavier. So if the light law is um, taking uh, a mother away and and keeping an egg, that's a very light, small law. Apply the same principle of caring and make it into a heavier option. Um, If you're kind and gentle in small things, what does that mean you will be? kind and gentle with big things. And so if we, you know, the, 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 if we can't look after the little things in our lives, then we can't look after the big things in our lives. And what's the parable, most recently read it in the lectionary, if anyone follows it, what's the parable that, that, that says, uh, because you were good with small things, you will now be given bigger things. Everyone remember? Parable of the talents. The talent. <laughs> yes. Where at the end of the judgment scene, God says, look, you were, you were not too bad with small stuff. Now, because I know you can handle the small stuff, I can surely trust you with the big stuff. You know, um, you're always looking for people with experience. Um, and, and so this is also one of those things. If you can do this little law, the least of the commands, um, there's a good chance you can, can keep the intention of the other ones as well. And so, uh, yep, taking care of uh, the animals. And it is incredibly interesting that this is the one that gives the blessing. Okay.
4: Why?
3: Revelation yep. 11, 18. Yes. Is that it? Can you read it out? Sure, hold on a sec. you have to give me a couple of seconds. Huh? Oh, Shimshon, did you
2: actually put it in the text, did you?
5: Yeah, oh, I did.
3: Oh, and
2: the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that thou shouldst give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, to them that fear thy name, great and small, that should destroy them, that destroy the earth. Yes, our, our job, one of the first commands ever given to man while in the garden before the fall was actually to care for the world. And so God so loved the world, thus we probably really should take care of this place. And, um, and the blessing is that it actually responds back when, when we do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Bernardo yeah yeah is that that good kind of God. Uh, somebody else to do the killing it'll be
1: Aaron,
4: <laughs> it. if I can interject yeah uh it was an orthodox priest and I can't remember where I heard this but he he had talked about the two general approaches uh to taking care of the earth one is the liberal view that humanity is terrible for the earth um <laughs> uh, and the second is the conservative view that we're stewards of it and therefore we can do whatever we want with it and it's ours to do it with. Mm-hmm. But he said there's kind of the middle view that he takes is that our job is to intercede for the earth because the earth longs to glorify God and it's our job to make sure it does it well.
2: Okay, that's one way of looking at it. Yep. Um, the, like any, uh, as soon as a human is on the planet, he has to manipulate the earth to survive. He has to chop a tree down to build a house. The house doesn't appear. He can't just keep walking around the earth looking for a natural rock formation that's been made there by wind and rain after millions of years. Not that I go for the millions of years thing. But, you know, there is. it's one of those things. Um, dominating the earth does mean you can manipulate it, which might involve portions of its destruction for actually its betterment. Um, you know, you dig up the ground so that you can plant crops, which produces food. So there is there is a, there is a, a, a way where um, interceding, yes, absolutely, fantastic, but also do not ignore the fact that we do have to manipulate it. That is, um, digging uh, fossil fuels or whatever it is out of the ground, creating power, actually is a is a beneficial thing because it creates power which we can attach to a life support machine which will save lives. Um, can we use a better form of power? Yeah, sure, absolutely. But uh, don't ignore the use of power per se. So you know, there's we got we got we got to hold the, those extremes in, in in tension. And I think that the pinnacle of creation was always man. Right? It's uh, we're not vermin on the planet. We were put here to take control of it. And uh, it's not meant to dominate us. We're meant to dominate it. And uh, while we have a symbiotic relationship with it, it reacts to our sin. It can become defiled, but it can also respond to good care. And I think that's also a blessing that... Um, uh, when you look at farmers who are farming the land and doing and caring for it, well, their crops are doing very well. And uh, and so, um, I th- yeah, it, we have to have that nice little little balance in there. Okay, um, verse eight. Now we're looking at uh, uh, we've now switched to houses. When you build a new house, uh, you shall make a parapet or a gate, sort of some sort of fence. Uh, for your roof, that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house if anyone should fall from it. Okay, so this is practical. Uh, Isn't there a verse that says the beasts will lose their fear of humans in Bernardo? Do you mean um, in, in the Messianic age? Is that what you're referring to? Is that what you're referring to? Uh, but I don't, yeah, because in 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 Isaiah sixty-five, you get those you know wolf lies down with lamb and uh, stuff like that before Noah maybe. Okay, um, I don't know.
1: There's a scripture that says that the fear of the animals only came on after Noah got out of the ark, right? Back
3: okay.
2: Again. Yeah, but could
1: they, be. But they were friendlier back kind of in C.S. Lewis's Narnia
2: version, you know? I don't know. Right, know. okay. Well, we weren't supposed to eat them before uh, mm-hmm. before the ark. So they, you know, technically they weren't afraid of us as sources of mm-hmm. food. Whether or not we actually cared for them or not might be a different story. Okay, so verse 8 introduces practical rules for the community, all right? Um, and uh, we should have them obviously too in our community that um, uh, we should be making sure that when we're doing things, we're caring for our neighbors, caring for our kids, uh, and, 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 and things like that. Okay, so is there a spiritual application to this practical verse? Remember, there's multiple levels of reading. Okay? Obviously, the, the practical level is build a house, Kids will be playing up on it. We don't want the kids to fall down. That would be really bad. Let's build a fence. Great. Understand. What could be a spiritual um, application for this verse? Any ideas?
5: Okay. Um, If I may come in there, Aaron, I think um, it has to do with um, being responsible for others, Mm -hmm. having... Um, because when you build your house, I mean, it's yours, so you could do whatever you want to do in that sense of it. But now it, the Lord is adding that, yes, even though it's your house, you could do whatever you want to do, but you must do it in the ambience of um, this law that you must protect other people. You must have that um, responsibility for others also.
2: Yep, absolutely. Um, and so what would be a spiritual guard? That we would have for others, and so that we,
3: we conduct th- ourselves. We are kind of like a building. We are the temple. We have to maintain that kind of integrity as well, so that.
2: Okay. All right. So, like, we're building a fence on a roof that will protect uh, some kids or or anybody, you know, daughters sons, husbands, wives, whatever, friends from falling over and dying. Um, what would be a, a a spiritual application for this in our community? What sort of rules would we, what would we build to protect ourselves from falling? Life. Life. It's
0: about guarding your mind, because if the roof is the top of the house and Thanks. your mind physically is, you know, your head's right at the top of things. Yeah, yeah, build, yeah. You guard your mind.
3: Yeah.
2: So how, how do we guard our mind? Like what would be like, and chimchon has got there too. It's like what sort of laws do we create in our communities that protect each other spiritually? I mean, this is, this is the spiritual application for this. I mean, obviously, um, if you don't have a house, you can easily fulfill this law because obviously you're never, ever, ever going to build a, a fence, are you? <laughs> right. But, I mean, God is, is, is saying, okay, but the, the intention of this is that you are responsible for your neighbours. You are responsible as part of your community. So what is it, as a responsible member, do we need to do spiritually to safeguard ourselves? And so is it Rebecca? Intercede in prayer. Yeah, good start. Let's make sure that we're um, yeah, praying for for each other. That's a good start for our community. Um, obviously, we don't, we don't just want to sit around and pray, but we want to do that differently.
1: <laughs> I was thinking of, um, you know, the scripture where it says, uh, don't cause one of your brothers to stumble and fall. Yeah.
3: okay. So
1: maybe-
2: yep, yes, yes. So, How would would we make sure that we don't cause our brothers to stumble? What are the things that we could set up in our community um, um, that would protect uh, ourselves? I mean, obviously, I mean, here I'm thinking of um, it's easier to look at closed communities. Um, We have at Christchurch, we have volunteers from a community called the Bruderhof. Has anybody ever heard of these people? I had never heard of them until they showed up. They're sort of very sort of um, Anabaptist, Amish type uh, a community um, where they have a, a strict uh, set of rules and guidelines that they all have to behave, including... Um, the type of clothing that they wear. So all the girls wear head coverings and um, very plain clothing, and no makeup, and uh, these kinds of things. They're very strict on uh, rules for dating and how you, men and women, behave, and, and things. And, and so they they create all these rules, and and that can be a little extreme, or can be seen to as being a little, a little bit a little bit extreme. Um, but what is it we can do in our communities to safeguard our daughters? Mm-hmm.
3: Perhaps, perhaps yeah. Galatians 6 2. Galatians 6 2? Go for it. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ.
2: There you go. Okay. So how do we bear each other's burdens? So like what does that look like, brother?
1: Because
5: uh, um, I, I, I yeah. we we set up um um spiritual offenses like um right. Trying to protect the like what we do in the Torah, we try to protect the Torah by making other laws to protect us from breaking the Torah uh, which are called fences and so in the community we can decide to um put in some laws that are not directly um laws from the Bible but laws to protect us from breaking the laws from the bible yeah right. that's the,
3: Absolutely, yeah. and, and that's correct, because Galatians 6.1 says, If a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Therefore, bear ye one another's burden, so that you fulfil the law of Christ. Right.
2: Yep, so bearing the burden is related to the first, the first verse, so that um, doing our best to, to make sure that the brother doesn't uh, uh, stumble. And as Bernardo says, yeah, teach the commands. Okay, one of the simplest ways is preach it, brother. Actually, <laughs> teach the Bible. <laughs> one of our problems, I think, is um, when we go uh, to communities where the shepherds just don't teach the Bible anymore. They teach. Uh, life skills, <laughs> you know. I'm going to church to go hear my great life coach tell me how I'm going to succeed and get through life, and um, and and completely failing to actually prepare to stop us from falling off the building you know, um, and, and, you know, the, the inability of shepherds to actually call sin a sin, to say that light is light and dark is dark, you know, that the separation of the, of the sexes is actually a good thing, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and when we fail to do these kinds of things, um, then we're just, we're, we're, we've taken all those fences away. Sooner or later, someone is going to fall off the, off the house. You know, once we pull away from preaching the truth, um you, you will you will it will it's just going to happen um and you can see that in our communities where you know our um we the inability as we we mentioned last week inability to purge sin from the community has just resulted in our children falling victim to all kinds of horrible things and then us scratching our heads going well how did that happen you well know? <laughs> we um we kind of did it to ourselves and uh no point blaming God. He he set up. He gave us some pretty good guidelines here. You know, here's Moses trying to set up a community that's that's going to defend itself, take care of itself, you know, guard itself, and in doing that, shine a light that the other nations will turn around and go, "Wow, you guys are wise." No other God gives rules like this. This is we're coming. We're coming to join your team. Okay, all right. So verse nine. Uh-huh. Here's another one. Um you shall not sow your vineyard with two kinds of seed, lest the whole field be forfeited. That the crop you have sown and the yield mm-hmm. of the vineyard. Alright. So what do we make of this verse? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Well,
0: we can go spiritually again, Erin. If we know yep. the seed is the word, then it's okay. really saying if you're sowing the good seed, don't filter it or add in anything that is not the, directly from the word of God. Don't yeah. bring in other doctrines and other things that are contrary to what God is saying.
2: Yep. Life. Yep. You can de- yep. Very
0: good.
2: Still. Yep. Spiritual seed mixing. Bernardo's like syncretism. Yes, we've got to keep syncretism out of uh our preaching tradition absolutely um yeah if the seed is the word don't mix it with something else that's a good good little piece of advice okay um any other nuances now remember um in, in jewish exegesis there's the literal and then there's you know you go down the list of spiritual so you can you can say anything with the text as long as we don't um, go against the literalness of the text. That's the only rule in Jewish exegesis. Never go against the literalness. Um, I'm going to throw yeah. one out. Yes, Aaron. It's it's um it's a
5: very um it's a very confusing text because um, in many communities, um, farming communities here in Africa, the 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 farmers they they plant more than one seed in the in the in the piece of land, yep. and um, I've, I've tried to wrestle with this to try to understand what what is the implication in the agrarian society first on that level before we can even look at the spiritual meaning because it's very difficult for many farmers to just plant only one seed. Um, yep. In many translations, it says um, two kinds of seed and some kind of translation says diverse seed. So yep. it, it could it mean that seeds that are similar can be planted together then seeds that are very diverse should not be planted i don't really uh, find i find it very difficult to understand
1: well i think that too like as farmers you have a field that's one type of seed and a field that's another to sort of keep the seed healthy i think isn't it there's an issue there i think so you don't put all the same seeds in one field but you can have fields that are side by side but you're saying they plant them all together and you're how would they harvest them
5: okay like in in some places they they plant um the granite or we' we'll call peanuts, and they plant the maize, because with the maize um, you could just avest them, they come much earlier, you just pluck them off and you know you can just pluck them off then but with the granite, then later on you come to you know fetch them from the soil so they they, they can they can both stay together without you know affecting each other It's, it's not every farmer that does that uh, mostly they are um, self subsistence farmers that kind of do this kind of planting and I wonder what kind of implications spiritually it will have on them or you know or on the seed itself yeah will they make the seed so be defiled yeah.
3: Aaron from, from an agricultural point of view if yep. you have, a, have a, a crop like maize or something like that 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 uh, if I'm correct that puts the nutrients back into the soil whereas a root crop draws them back out so, so if you mix them together you're messing with your soil but I was also wondering, from a spiritual level, mm-hmm. uh, if we look at <laughs> 2 Corinthians six fourteen and fifteen. Yes, don't be unequally yoked. Because of what concord has Lord Jesus Christ with Belial, sir. So. Yeah. yeah, 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 And
2: and 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 there, I mean, he he's actually invoking like the enemy, Satan. Like once he says, you know, what do you have with Belial? That's all the, the yokeless one, that's the enemy. Um, so he, he's really taking that quite a, a hard, hard way. In, in Australia, I know that I've been there very long, uh, for a very long time, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you have these things called companion planting. You've heard of that? So, so... Particularly, say, with vineyards. I mean, I think you do it here too. So you have vines growing, but at the edges of your vines and in amongst the, you have various plants that attract uh, insects that are actually positive for the the vine. So, you know, they, they, as part of their science of agriculture, they have discovered that there are some plants that are actually beneficial, mutually beneficial for each other. Um, and, they, and, and, and they create this science called companion planting. I'm sure um, Australia is not the only one that does it too. Um, I heard a, an interesting discussion on this with a friend a long, uh, uh, quite a long time ago, a guy called Chaim. Um, and he was saying, um, you know, go again, and think that uh, if the Lord is concerned about seeds, I mean, think about it. You know, he's he's he's, he's the Lord. You know, Lord's writing the stuff. Okay, it's obviously through Moses. I get it, but ultimately, Word of God. Um, he's saying, in in a, in, you dig a hole in the ground. Don't put a wheat seed and a barley seed in in the same piece of turf. Why not? Because each of these seeds requires a different. Amount of light, different amount of water to survive. They are not the same, and so you're setting these these seeds to compete with each other for the resources that are in the ground, and and God doesn't want you to make creation fight itself, and uh, and so if God is so concerned about plant seeds, how much more is he concerned with human seeds? If God doesn't want you to make wheat and barley fight together, how much more does God actually care for the seed of a human, which will eventually become a human? And so he uses this verse uh, as a way to say, Abortion is not a good thing. Does that make sense? You understand? If God cares for seeds so much of a plant, he says, don't, I don't want you to wrestle with them. How much more does he care for a human seed? Obviously, he obviously cares for human seeds even more. And if God cares for human seeds, you don't get to destroy them when you feel like it. Does that make sense? So so the, the, it doesn't take away from the Peshat, the, the littleness, Be careful when making creation fight itself. God doesn't want us to set creation against itself. He wants us to care for it and nurture it. At the same time, there are some deep spiritual truths. Like Vita said, don't mix the word of God with something else. No? Uh, take care of, of the human seed that we have on the planet. And, and uh, as we all know, abortion is just rife in most of our societies, which is, which is terrible. And, uh, um, yeah, okay. All right, so that's one, one way of looking at it. And, the, uh, and, the, and what you brought in with 2 Corinthians 6, David, this, this don't be unequally yoked really bears out in the next passage. You shall not plough with an ox and a donkey together, right? This this idea of um, not being um, uh, shackled uh, unequally, because it invites and tempts the devil. So, how do we take that as a to to apply to ourselves, guys? Any idea? How do we make sure that we are not unequally yoked? What does that actually mean in our contexts?
1: I mean, well, this is, go for it, Sharon. It. Exactly, exactly like the yield of the seed so even the yield of our fruitfulness is affected if we're unequally yoked right if we're trying to you know go it with somebody who doesn't believe in god right side by side with somebody who does okay not. so is he
2: talking in terms of like a married couple
1: yeah i think so or even yeah. in business i suppose does it apply to business as well you think
2: um well i mean it could do and probably does of course mm-hmm. One of our problems as believers um, engaging in a secular world is we will have to do business with non-believers. So how do we, how do we, how do we handle that? That's going to be a good thing. Um, perhaps we should be incredibly careful when going into business with non-believers. Okay? We need to go into those sort of deals with eyes wide open, understanding, I've got to be careful here. I, you know, this, is, this is not a believer who has the fear of heaven. Uh, this is a guy who probably might rip me off. Maybe, I don't know. But we have to be very careful. Um, and we also have to be careful that secularism, just like uh, Vida was saying, you know, don't share, mix the seed of the word with something secular. We have to make sure that secularism doesn't influence us. We have to be the influence on secularism. Um, yeah, yeah, Rory, we've got to keep the Norwegians out of Texas. Okay, um, that's absolutely true. Um, you know what? What fellowship has Scandinavia with um, with you know what, what? what is essentially almost Latin America? Okay, um, yeah, I'm not quite yeah, hey <laughs> 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 he, sure. He's a he's a good practical joker. I like him a lot.
0: Hey, hey well, we keep look- Latin
2: America out of that one. There you go. Hey, Brazil turned out <laughs> also. Yes. Well, no, don't don't worry. Don't worry, Brazil. We have kept the Norwegians far away from you. Okay? <laughs> All right. They're well uh, uh, as well.
5: If we look at it from the from the practical point of view when you yoke two unequally um um animals together, um you're going to mess up the field. You're not going to have the land properly um, tilled because one will be moving faster than the other. And instead of going on a straight line, it's going to go on a messy zigzag line or in a circle or something like that. And so when we look at it from that point of view, and we apply it into spiritual life, there are so many things we need to do that we need to um, um, connect with people that have the same kind of spiritual understanding as we are, Um, even within the body of Christ. Yeah, yeah, because you still get people that don't have the kind of understanding that you are, and um, you're trying to accomplish some tasks together. You find out that um, you're just um, uh, maybe the person is, you know, always against uh, your 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 concept or your your views of things. And instead of having the goal, then you have to deal with you know dealing with each other. So that's one of the ways that I, I look at it. Um, also, when we look at um, dealing with business in the business world. Um yes, we can we, we cannot do business without reaching out to um other people. You know, sure. I mean yeah. we, we need to do business with other people. Um also we need to do business with the people in the body of Christ. But I think even today, because of the animosity and the and the large um gathering we have, um we it's also very useful for us to be very careful when we make um make, um business dealing with even people in the body of Christ because with the animosity we have because now it's fashionable for everybody to say i'm born again um yeah. but they don't have the fruits of it and so at the end of the day you get hot and you get disappointed with um, with even people within the circles one of the things i learned from somebody is that no matter who you're dealing with when you're in a business transaction always write out your agreements um no matter <laughs> yes. who, always write it out it's going That's to it. help you out in one way or the other when things start going wrong
2: yeah yeah because they most likely will.
5: <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. Yes. Right. there's Being spiritually yoked as even as possible is probably a, a good principle that we should all in, in endeavour to do. That doesn't mean we should not uh, deal with or nurture or shape people who are spiritually uh, children. Or you know, we, we we all have to go through the milk to get to the meat. And so we all have to you know disciple, which means we you know shepherds and disciples and and. and Taking care and feeding the sheep, there will always be a um, someone will be more spiritually mature than the other. Um, uh, You know, one of the first missionaries was always find yourself a teacher, right, and raise up disciples. You know, like make sure that you're 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 learning from somebody who's who's a little bit better than you, so you can you can uh, always always be, be be learning there. The next one, I mean, a lot of these rules are all about separation. In some way and and they're teaching this idea of separation um that israel is still meant to be a unique distinct society in amongst the nations that doesn't mean it's not going to have gentiles inside of it because we have got all kinds of laws about what how to treat them supposed to treat them fairly okay other than what rea dairy is trying to do now and get rid of all the christians in this country but you know they're not supposed to do that but they're also not meant to um, become so synchronistic and assimilated that they lose their identity and, uh, and then their light is diminished by the darkness instead of actually chasing it away. The next uh, sentence, um, I'm going to guess that we all probably don't know what it means. <laughs> That's because... Nobody does, okay? In, in all of this country, there is not one rabbi who understands what they call shutness. That's what this is. You shall not wear cloth and linen wool together. Okay. No one has a clue what that means. It's, it's uh, You go commentary after commentary after commentary, and they can't figure it out because uh, just about every garment we wear is actually made of mixed materials. It is very rare to find I am ho- I'm wearing a pure silk uh, shirt. Well, you're obviously rich. <laughs> most of us, <laughs> most of us have got the 10 shekel polyester made in China, okay, or Vietnam. <laughs> right? And, and that includes the rabbi. He's wearing it too. All right. Um, no one is 100% sure what this verse means, but it has something to do with the spiritual concern of separation that uh, and and the prohibition.
1: Aaron, there's a good cross reference in in Leviticus 19.19. Yep. You, you shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your livestock breed with one another kind. You shall not sow your field with mixed seed. That concept of mixed seed yep. in the- you nor shall a garment of mixed linen and wool come upon you so maybe it's something about like like the next verse you know you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together like they don't go well together versus yes. you know two ox two donkeys you know that kind of concept you, you work with the best connect, uh, combination you know
2: sure and just like we discovered that as you know part of the rule of don't don't um, make seeds in the ground fight and wrestle with each other, there are various plants that do work well together. And so, you know, God has given us intelligence that we can, as part of our dominion of nature, actually influence it by planting certain things that are good for the other things next to it. Yeah. Um
0: I have one thought on a spiritual application for that because when I read when I read it, it makes me think of Cain and Abel. One okay. offered the fruit from the ground, and the other offered the fruit of the lamb, uh, you know, yeah. sacrifice, which was acceptable to God. Yeah. And the wool comes from the lamb, obviously, and yeah. the cotton is from the ground. So, isn't it perhaps saying covering yourself with work, in a sense, works versus the the sacrifice of, you know. Believing in the faith of God. I know I'm ex- extending it a bit, but to me, well, I see it as this, a garment that we cover ourselves with.
2: Okay, I d- Vida, that's actually a very good midrash. That is exactly what uh, rabbis do, okay? They take a, a, a word like wool and cotton, and they make the link between you know, sheep and grain, and then they make the link between Cain and Abel, and then they, and they play, because it doesn't go against Peshat. So, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a nice little way of, of looking at it, okay, spiritually. Yeah, that's, not, that's, that's actually pretty good. You should write a book, Christian, Christian Midrash by Vita Butterfield. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. All right. So the last little bit of uh, – so we don't understand what this shutness means, this, this mix of uh, wool and linen, other than applying it spiritually. Okay, um, but the next verse, which is is in tandem to it, it's a lot more easier to understand both the physical and spiritual implications of it. Okay. Um, um Aaron,
5: just a yeah. minute. Yeah, s- sorry, I was going to just make this um, comment. Um, I will, I'm trying to understand in the in the in the time of the Torah when Moses was delivering this to them. I'm sure they don't have so much technology to mix garments together like we do the polyester and things right. like that. So I'm do- looking at it, I'm looking at it more like um when you have a silk and you're trying to attach um a different material to it on the other side, you know, to stitch it, stitch mm-hmm. them together. Mm-hmm. Like if you have a silk and a khaki, for instance, what we call a khaki on the side, or maybe like a leather jacket you know they're not going to stay well when you have silk on one side and leather jacket on the other side they're not going to stay well and so um i want to see that text more in that um, fashion than um than um more of the mix um engineering kind of garments that we wear today
3: okay because i I don't think they,
5: they might have it yeah
2: yeah oh yeah yeah, because a lot of the tzitzit, which is like the very next thing, you shall make tassels for yourself, tzitzit, on the four corners of your garment from which you cover yourself. I mean, that tzitzit, most of those are actually yeah. made with mixed fibers anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, they, they, they really are looking at, at this in a more spiritual level. Um, however, this is a very practical one as well. You shall make tassels for yourself from the four corners of your garment with which you cover yourself. In Deuteronomy, there's no reason given for why you do this. It is given in Numbers 15. Why Moses doesn't bother to say why? I don't know. Probably because he assumes you already know, right? Or right. beg the question, why do we do this? Numbers 15, 38 to 41 does say, uh, cr- create these tassels, put them on the corners of your garment, so that when you look at them, you'll remember.
5: You'll remember definitely the commandments. A,
2: Correct. These are definitely a memory aid. Um, it's it's not a fashion statement, although it has become one. Um, and uh, you can, it doesn't, there's no rule about not making them look cool. Okay. You can make them look cool if you want. Mm-hmm. But the, the intention is that you have to look at them and remember the commandments, which means this rule while being physical does have a spiritual application because if you don't know the commandments, looking at these tassels ain't going to help you, <laughs> other than going, hey, what
3: are these crazy swinging dangly things
4: hanging around the gene?" Yep.
3: Aaron? Um, yeah. Aaron? Aaron on, a, on a different level, could this also be, because there's four of them, could this also be pointing to the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings and put forward look to the, the lady with the issue of blood when she wants to touch corner of of his of his of the lord's robe
2: well he's definitely she's definitely going to do that um she's definitely gonna touch and and yes and the healing in his in his wings in his corners yeah that's definitely going to be there yeah as part of it
0: aaron dwight prior did a a teaching and he said he linked these two scriptures as well because he said that where it says wings um it's the same as in the corners the tassels it's the Kind of theme,
2: yeah. A canaf is a is a yeah. wing. Yeah.
0: yeah. So Dwight Pryor made that connection between these yeah. two there's these two.
2: Yeah, and and it, and it uh, it's a it's a particular type of corner because uh, there's a there's a canaf is a is a particular type of a of a corner. It doesn't just mean um, corner, but it's a. Um, I'll have to have a look at what Dwight says about it. But yes, there's a link there. You've yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I just have the impression that, like, ultra-Orthodox, they would be, like, probably just wearing 100% cotton. I'm a little bit surprised that they would even have a little mixed in their clothes.
2: <laughs> they do because they don't understand what this verse means. Okay? Because most most clothing isn't 100%. It's very rare. You can get 100% cotton, but even 100% cotton is still not 100% cotton. There's usually some <laughs> other stitching in there somewhere. Uh, yeah, uh, it's
1: a modern world, right? But back then, like like Chipson said, you
2: know. Right. Right. Well that's so right. That's
1: very, so if they wouldn't understand that, they'd just rule it out, Aaron. I mean, how does no, that work with how, how does that no, work their minds?
2: I know. It's it's how do I describe this? I mean, um, when you when you sit I, I sit and I have the, the blessing of being able to sit and chat to a Chabad guy three times a week. And um, you know, you always have a uh, ask him, so you know, um, do you ever ever worry about uh what shutness is? And they just look at you and go, No one understands what that means, man. No, we're not worried, (laughs) 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 but you're pretty darn sure you can't eat cheese and a hamburger together. Oh, yeah, that's (laughs) definitely okay. It's like, okay, okay. (laughs) great, okay.
5: And um, we we also connecting the zizit with the word, you could see that um. At the end of the Zizit, it's uh, is knotted to five. There are five knots, right. and yes. uh, which um, the rabbis explain that it's connected to the five books of the Torah. Of so Torah, yeah. you see the five knots only on the ends of the... But one very interesting Midrash I would like to just share on that is that um, when the Lord says, when you see this and you look at it, it's talking about the blue, um, the, the blue thread that is attached Correct. to the end of the Zizit. But another place in the Torah... Um, in, in Exodus 12 um, it says that when I am passing then I will see the blood That's, this is God seeing God is seeing the blood that is red and God is seeing and we we are seeing the, the blue. Um, the blue the blue yeah. is talking about sky and the blood talks more about the earth and you see that when you mix it you get purple and these three colors are the colors of the Mishkan they are the colors of the tabernacle so it's what we look and what God <laughs> sees that brings us together in the tabernacle.
2: Oh, there you go. That's very good. Yeah. yeah. You should write a book as well. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can sell it as a, as a, as a, as a, as a you know, two in one price with, uh, with beer. But, no, that's great you. guys. I mean, we um, we only managed to get through 12 verses this time, but the, Some really good discussions and some good learning. These are laws, and these actually still, the spiritual implications are still effective to us in our community today. And isn't that interesting that, um, uh, you know, people, we're Messiah's done away with the law, but not really.
4: These are very
2: spiritual, very applicable things to all of us. All of us have found some very good things. in in these rules that would benefit our communities if we put them into practice and uh, would harm our communities if we dismiss them and and fail. And uh, so, yeah, I think those are are great things. We will continue to wrestle with all of of Deuteronomy, including uh, next week uh, where we get into a very interesting discussion about um, what you should and shouldn't do. Uh, with virgins. Um, not much of a problem we have to do these days because I don't think there are any left on this planet, um, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but anyway, if we do find one, uh, we've got some rules to, 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 to handle with her, okay? Um, excellent. But next week we will continue with Deuteronomy 23. Um, all right. Brothers and sisters, thank you very much.